where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Chag Sukkot Sameach. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. It's clean. Home room is on Rumble. Just go to Rumble and search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, and it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and even YouTube today. Um, usually it's just Wednesday, but today, hopefully you won't get in trouble, but I'm not too sure this morning. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Don't worry about what the link says. Just go to it. It works. <laughs> Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow right now, but um, he, he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Phones are on today, 229-469-0335, but only for registered numbers. We only accept calls from regular known listeners. If you find, if, 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 if you find, not, not if you find, if you wish to call in, you must be a known class member that has participated in the chats on a regular basis. You may then <laughs> uh, request phone access through an email. <laughs> Oh, I'll my turn to second. be Charlie. If, if you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Warn them, Joe is an acquired taste. You're going to find that out today. So is Charlie. This this show is listener sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising. Wouldn't do any good anyway. So we are not limited in the content we provide, y'all. With that said, we ask for your participation on a value-for-value value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donate link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. <laughs> hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. you soon realize we not might be the smartest. But we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Okay, so translation. Chag Sukkot Sameach. It basically roughly translated into English. It says, have a joyful celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's a rough translation. Boy, I gotta learn Hebrew. Yeah. You could say a lot more with fewer words. Yeah, yeah. Chag is is feast, Sukkot, and then Sameach is to have a joyful celebration. I've got a question. Yeah. Who are you? I'm Charlie. You're not Charlie. I'm Charlie. No, you were fired, remember? I got fired by who? Uh Aaron. Aaron fired me? Yeah. Okay, I guess I better go then. <laughs> 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 and he hasn't had donuts this morning, <laughs> folks. So uh, good luck. <laughs> Natasha says, I'm not allowed to do the show as Charlie. <laughs> not the original Charlie. She says, He's too Charlie to operate, <laughs> to function. So, all right. Good morning, class. 
<laughs> Will the real Charlie please stand up? <laughs> All right. Hey, if y'all got a problem with Charlie, blame it on Jimmy Zinker. It's his fault. <laughs> um marianne says um what has he been drinking if not donuts no donuts and no unleavened donuts and i was just a little late in drinking my caffeine so this is what happens when i'm uncaffeinated i don't function properly (sighs) you know it's not called coffee it's called anti-murder juice (laughs) (laughs) okay today um if if you have not already done so I threw a link up for you on your on liquid sugar. Yes. And caffeine. Don't forget the caffeine, man. Threw a link up on your show notes for today. You know, the road to concord.com, the blog site. <laughs> and it's, it's okay. So I, I, I decided today would be a good day that cause, cause tomorrow what we're doing, we've got to have a little talk about the prophetic language. Now, this is one of these areas where um, <laughs> I don't remember ever in all my life, hearing a preacher talk about this subject. I have heard that Dr. Heiser say no such thing. Uh, You better read the prophets a little closer there, Dr. Heiser. (laughs) You know better. (laughs) They tell you they're, they tell you themselves they're using figurative language. He doesn't totally dismiss it. He just doesn't think it's, it's his language all its own, or he didn't before he was called home. I do, namely because they tell me that they're using a different language. Um, the person who first brought this whole subject to my, um, attention was Ellis Schofield, you know, the author of the hidden beast Two, the book that we've been, um, kind of doing the slideshow presentation of on Wednesdays that we just wrapped up last Wednesday. So the prophetic language, if you are a believer, this is something that you really ought to be studying. If you're not a believer, this might actually end up being a fascinating class for you. Because the prophets do have a language all of their own. It's a symbolic language. It's an allegorical language. And, you know, allegory, you you know, you tell a story to make a point. Um, And if you learn it, the prophets are not as ambiguous as people seem to think they are. But before we get into the prophetic language, we have to tackle something else. Um, There's a symbolic language in scripture as well. The symbolic language and the prophetic language are intricately t- woven together. They're very much alike and they lean on each other. They, they, they share back and forth, but they're not the same things. And I've got two, um, two links in your homework for you that um, show you like one of them here. This is the dictionary of biblical imagery. And if you're looking at your class board, you'll see your, your chalkboard, you see, I've got this little bookie here right in my hand. This is not the prophetic language. This is biblical imagery. So what do you mean? What's the difference? Well, imagery is symbolic in nature as well, but it's not necessarily prophetic in nature. Um, the eagle, bald eagle, image of what? United States, right? The American flag image of the United States, you know, it, it, it'll it, imagery here in this case is something that brings up an idea or a, um, a feeling or um, a concept in your head. And it's a shorthand way of, of doing things like with baptism is in here in one of the pages of this dictionary. That's an imagery, the, the washing of water. Now that book is very good for the imagery of scripture. 
it does have crossover. Um, but biblical imagery is not the same thing as the prophetic language. This is a guide to symbol the, to the types and symbols in the Bible. This one here is a little bit of this book here has a foot in both worlds. It's got a foot in the prophetic language. It's got a foot in the imagery language. So the two books I've got for you today that I brought, one of them is biblical imagery and one of them is the prophetic language and, and imagery, imagery all mixed in together. This book, I was lucky enough, if you're watching your chalkboard, you see I have it too. I was lucky enough to buy that bad boy. This is, you know, Connections, a guide to uh, types and symbols in the Bible by uh, uh, Glenn Carpenter. I was lucky enough to buy it before it became a collector's item. Eh, cheapest one I found online last night was $100. The Kindle's cheap, folks. It's just a few bucks. This is a good book. This is a good book. Um, especially if you're wanting to understand the imagery in the scriptures. But that one is not going to deal just with the prophetic imagery. It's going to deal with a little bit of both. So if you're only going to get one of them, you know, get that one, get the Kindle version. That's the, the, this one here, Connections. Very good book. I'd forgotten how good it was until last night. I started this, put this puzzle together for you today. But before we get you into the prophetic language itself, let me explain what I mean about the imagery and why it's important. Or let me try to explain this to you. This is a picture of the cosmology of the Hebrew mindset. And by and large, most people in the ancient Near East had some figure of this, this view of the world. You know, this is where your flat earth society comes from. And it's the idea that you have this ocean of water. That's what the world was. Not space. It was ocean. It was water. And then what happened is the creator puts this little air bubble in the water and he separates it. And then he causes the earth to shut, to, to come up from out of the water. And this is in Genesis. And, you know, the first there was the, you know, the water and the air and all this stuff, you know, God's hovering over the surfaces of the water. Oh, and, wow, uh, water's above and water's below. Yeah, the Ooh. firmament. Hey, this picture shows that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And then it, it, Paul will talk about, you know, the firmament being like bronze. It, it's some sort of physical device that holds the waters together, you know, away from each other that allows air to exist inside the primordial sea. And then the earth is supported by pillars, you know, of stone or rock in the ocean. The idea where the, where the pillars can, they don't care about that. The, 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 nobody seems to care about this, but this is the ancients idea of, of what the ocean look, I mean, what the world or the cosmos looked like, you know, today we would think space, right? Well, they thought waters <clears throat> and this is important because here we're going to go to Genesis real quick. Let me pop myself out of here. It might not be easy for you to read this on the chalkboard, but it's here. This is just Genesis 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and desolate emptiness, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, meaning the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So what's all this got to do with anything? The symbol of the waters. That is a symbol of chaos and lawlessness. Now, you have to understand what chaos means in the Greek. Today, we mean we think chaos means anything goes. It's total disorder. But that's not quite the Greek conception. I don't know what um, the Hebrew equivalent would be. 
Charlie might be able to help me with this at some point, but the Greek word chaos doesn't necessarily mean disorder. It means all things that are possible. Now, <clears throat> when we think about chaos, excuse me, when we think about chaos in our world today, that's, that's close to disorder. It, it, it means that you don't know which direction you're going to go. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. But chaos is, th th we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is a concept that is much bigger than you might think the word is. It, it, in the Greek mindset, it's, it's all possibilities. And chaos bright rears its head in scripture quite often, because if you're reading it closely, scripture tells you, the prophets tell you that the future is not always set. Yeah, I know. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. He knows all things from start to beginning. Yes, he does, because he knows what direction the future was going to take. But sometimes he talks to his human creations from their perspective so that they can understand it. And he, he says, like, if this day, if you will, if you will do this, this will be the outcome. If you don't do this, that'll be the outcome. And God, Yahweh tells us from the beginning what the, what, what, what your possibilities are. That's chaos. It, it's the unknown future from which many things can come, but there's no order in chaos in the ancient Near East mindset. There's no order in chaos. So you have an ocean of chaos. The primordial sea represents chaos. All things can come out of it, but you don't know. You, you, you need a God to put order into that chaos to determine what direction you're going to go. So if you can bring the order out of that chaos in the ancient Near East, that's the, that mindset, that's symbolic of being deity. So the ocean is, is all things possible. Now, there is chaos in the ocean. I'll get to that in a moment. But the ocean is all things possible. So what you have here is you have all things possible underneath and over. But right inside of it, you have a directed path. Because God, Yahweh, created it and directed the path. Earth is where life is going to be, oxygen to live and all these things. That gives you a direct, he brought order out of chaos. He, he brought a directed path out of the possible things. Now, right here what we have is an is a understanding of Genesis 1-9, the war with chaos. God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear in another. And so it was. But this is not the chaos that's in the ocean. The ocean is just all possible things. The chaos that's in the ocean is right there. The Leviathan. It's a sea creature that symbolizes the forces of chaos. Now, in this case, that's lawlessness and disorder. That's destruction, nihilism. Symbolizes the forces the, the gods or the spiritual beings behind this destruction and this, this disorder and, and what we think of today as chaos. And it threatens the established order. And Isaiah applies this imagery to God's eschatology victory, eschatological victory over all his enemies. The book of Revelation uses similar, similar imagery describing the emergence of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. This is another symbol. It's not necessarily part of the prophetic language but it's symbolic. It's symbolic of Satan, the great dragon. And you will find this um, nihilistic monster in other places in the Bible. And we'll go over that in a specific show. We are going to get to the prophetic language, but we've got to tackle this first because this is important. A lot of believers will think that the, the imagery in the Bible is part of the prophetic language. It's not.
they're not exactly the same things. Okay. They're very closely related, but they're not exactly the same thing. It's like car and truck, very closely related, but they're a car is not a truck. And I mean, 18 wheeler versus smart car. Okay. They're closely related. They're very similar, but they're different things. Dog and a wolf. And by dog, I mean your little Pekingese versus wolf. Very closely related, but not the same things. And if you don't keep them straight in your head, things will get crazy on you eventually. <clears throat> so here's another one of these places where we're, we're going to see difference in symbology. This is the he- Paleo-Hebrew language. And Charlie, if for whatever reason you want to jump in here at some point, you're free to do so. Actually, you probably call this pictographic Hebrew to be more Okay, precise. yeah, pictographic. But this is the original way that Hebrew was written. And it's got its own symbology to it. Like the Aleph is the ox head, and it means strength or leader. The letter itself has a meaning. The bet means house. Gimel, it's a foot or a camel. You know, and people tell you, well, there are no camels in Egypt at the time. Well, it's funny because this language says camel in it, and it was developed while they were still in Egypt, the best we know, looking at archaeology. You know, the Dalet, that's a tent or a door. The hay, lo, behold, you know, man with his hands raised. It's, hey, look, 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 look. So all the different letters in Hebrew had their own meaning. And when you can combine them, you could come up with different meanings as well. Like right here, Torah, Torah. Now, they've done this left to right for you and I because we're English speakers, but it's vav, resh, hey, and it creates a root word that means to point the way. Hey, the way, you know, the, the way of walking. And adding a tav means shoot toward a mark or target, you know, back to that um, archery symbols. So shoot toward the way, shoot toward the way of, you know, shoot toward the way to walk and follow Yahweh's teachings. And when you miss the target, that's sin because you've missed the target. You shot toward it, but you missed. You didn't hit the way. So Torah helps point the way. But simply combining the literal definitions of the pictorial seems to reveal Christ in looking at what comes from the man nailed to the cross. So what they do is they go over here. You got to start on the bottom here. The hay. That's a pictographical image of a man with his hands waved. It basically says, behold, look, pay attention to this. Actually, you start top down. Top down, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in the correct order. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, my bad. But if you read it the other way, but you know, this is the tav. Okay, that represents a sign or a mark, and then the vav represents a tent peg, and that resh highest man or chief or whatever. And then hey, pay attention. But if you if you look at it backwards, it says behold the highest man nailed to the cross. The, the whole point of this though is this is imagery. This is not the prophetic language. These are just symbols. And you can, if you're not careful, you can get a little crazy with them. Because like the, what do you call it? Gematria? Gematria. Gematria. In Hebrew, the letters also have numbers associated with them. I've, I've popped that up there for you too. And people will start assigning numbers to all the letters in every word. And they'll start doing their Bible codes. And they can, you can take this to, to the point of just stupidity. Yeah. But, but the thing is there, there are actual Bible codes in, yes. in the Tanakh that do link to this. But you got to be careful because uh, you can take it too far. And the same thing with, with using the, the images related to the, uh, each of the letters from the pictographic. Yes, Hebrew. people do. T- they take can, that way too far. You can go so far with it, but then 
you you get off you get off the path um, and it and it leads to in 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 the uh, Hebraic sects it, it would be something like um, Kabbalism yes well, like mysticism that, or mysticism um, right Gnosticism um, Gnosticism hidden language right, like I mean a so, hidden knowledge so you got to be careful with it there there are things in there that show you that the Torah was not written by man. Yes. Because yes. these things are so inter intricately uh, connected and put together that no man could have thought this and figured this out. Well, it gets even greater than that. It, it, hold on with me for a minute, Charlie. If we were reading this in the pictographical Hebrew, not only are we going to have pictographical messages on top of the actual, you know, hieroglyphic type language that's being written we'd also got to have numerical messages yes all three are going to be parallel not all three messages won't be exactly the same but they'll all be intricately related right that is a level of sophistication that goes i mean you need ai to put something like that together yeah, it, that's beyond human bonkers. intelligence yeah it's bonkers when you put it together yeah it's it's and it's really really deep and intricate and then on top of that you have wordplay going on as well oh all over the place an intentional wordplay. Hebrew literature from the Tanakh is, it's mind-blowing when you see it in the original language and how everything's tied together. And, and not only how it's tied together within a section of scripture, but how it ties in from the Tanakh. Uh, the Old from Testament the, from Tanakh. The, well, well, from the uh, uh, Torah, the first five books, to the prophets and writings, and all the way into the what we call the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah how all these things are interrelated and, and connect together and are referenced back and forth. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I don't have that picture readily available. I put the picture up before that shows you all the interconnecting um, passages in scripture yeah, that yeah, it's, tie it's together. Crazy. It's, it's nuts. And when you see that graph, it's symmetric all around Psalm 119. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny too, given that Psalm 119 is the middle of the scriptures are real close to it. Um, so biblical, it thanks Charlie, biblical imagery, symbolic meanings, not necessarily the same thing as the prophetic language. And when I say prophetic language, it's time to really get going into what the point of today's show is. Now the prophetic language is the language of symbolism that the prophets use. So what we have is we have biblical imagery. Everybody in the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation uses this biblical imagery. The prophetic language is a subset of that biblical imagery, a very specialized subset. If believers would learn this prophetic language, it would help harmonize the body because we'd be doing a lot less arguing over what this means or what that means because the prophets tell you what it means in a lot of cases. In the context where these pat, where these images images show up, they help you with those cases where the prophets don't directly tell you. The context will help explain what it is. Now, you go to your homework. Let me pop this up here, and we'll run you through it before we start going through some of this stuff in detail. Go to your homework, roadtoconcord.com, 10-3-2023. And yes, Ray, I updated the date. I'm sorry. One of your classmates smacked me on the wrist because I was doing this last night and I wasn't paying attention. I had the wrong date on there at first. But you go through, I've got several links here for you. And this last one here, 
I actually gave you the PDF, but when you go to it, I'll, I'll show you. You can print it out in different forms. And I made this downloadable for you. This is the book connections. This is only really available in PDF form unless you're really rich and you want to go get a hard copy. But this is something, if you don't have a Kindle, um, you can download the Kindle app onto your computer or your phone. And then you can just pick this up. It's not horribly expensive, I think. Right there it is. It's $6.99. Right there you see $6.99. And that's linked in your show notes. All you got to do is hit that link right there. That's a very good one to have in your in your library. This is the di uh, Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. So I put all of this in your show notes today. Now, I'll show you some of the pages that are in there. We'll come back to it. There's the PDF of this page. This is Bible Symbols. It's your first real link. You can print it. You can put it in an Excel copy. You can copy it. And you can PDF it up here at the top. They've made this available to you. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Here's another one. This is the um, answer to question number one. This is a footnote on biblical symbols, biblical symbol chart. This is not a horrible page, but be careful with it. In a lot of cases, um, they're kind of fudging and trying to force the pieces to fit in some cases here. But in most cases, if you're going to click on a link like here, trees and grass, is trees represent prominent men and grass represents masses of mankind. And then they'll give you a few Bible passages here underneath that show you, you know, where that is found. Well, they're correct. Like the, the cedars of Lebanon. Well, Lebanon was famous for cedar trees. But when the prophets talk about the cedars of Lebanon, be very careful. They're probably talking about the leaders of Lebanon, that area, that general region. And when they talk about the tops of the cedars, then they're talking about the kings, the, the higher up leaders you know, your kings and your priests and all, they're talking about the head men within those renowned men. That is almost always the case in the prophets. Now, sometimes it will reflect on trees as well. They have a, the, the prophets have a habit of talking about more than one thing at a time. But this, this page here is very good. And it's one of the few quick reference charts that I use. I still check this one. This one I've definitely checked. The first one, I'll show you why it's not as much of a problem in a minute. Here's another one I've given you, key to Bible symbols. You go down here and you just, you, know, you look up what it is. You're like a dragon or Satan. It's his, his uh, Satan's agency in Isaiah is the represented by the dragon. And it gives you Bible passages that you have to look up. A beast, kingdom, government, political power. And then it shows you in Daniel where that's said. You know, a lamb, that's Jesus, the sacrifice. John 129, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes through a bunch. This is an abbreviated version. This is... This would be a good page to start if you're just, just starting. You're just getting into the scriptures and the, the prophetic language. Then here's the meaning of numbers in prophecy. This one, and this is biblical meaning as well as prophetic meaning. This is why we had to start the show the way we did. Symbology in, in the Bible, will, will it, the prophets use it as well. But like I told you just a second ago, the prophets have their own specialized version of biblical imagery. For example, the number five. We pop on that, I'll open it in a different screen. It says the number five symbolizes God's grace, goodness, and favor toward humans. Well, five, Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah to the Jews. That's, God's, that's a symbol of God's grace. The law is a symbol of God's grace? Yes. 
when you understand the law, the Torah, the teachings, according to the Hebrew mindset, yes, it is a symbol of God's grace because it tells you how to follow and worship him, how to walk in his ways so that you don't have to wonder how to please your God in the ancient world. You knew. Okay. If you're following Marduk, which is the Babylonian king God, you know, head God, head deity, you don't know what pleases Marduk. You got to guess. So you're running around all the time. Sometimes you might get killed because you you displeased Marduk. You don't have that problem here. So Torah is a blessing in the Hebrew mindset. That's what it means by, you know, Torah is freedom and liberty. So the number five, the word five is uh, recorded 345 times in scripture. Since five represents grace, when it is multiplied by itself, it produces 25, which is grace upon grace, John 1.16. The Ten Commandments contain two sets of five commandments, depending on how you read them. The first five commandments to relate to our treatment and relationship with God, and the remaining ones concern with our relationship with other human beings. And why do humans ignore God's holidays? That's <laughs> a question. This is not a Hebrew Roots Movement page, folks, that's put in there. It says there are five primary types of offering God commanded Israel to bring to him. There are also burnt offerings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you've got another page here dealing with numbers that you need to be a little more careful with. This one here is a Hebrew Roots Movement page, but um, it's still very valuable, and I reference it quite often in my research. Just got to be careful with it. Check what they're telling you. But here, number five, there are five kinds of animals that were sacrificed under the old covenant law of sacrifices. Goats, sheep, cattle, pigeons, and doves. God changed Abraham's name to Abraham, uh, Abram's name to Abraham by adding the letter number five to his name, Genesis 17.5. He changed Sariah's name by adding the same letter number with the value of grace to form her name, Sarah. Uh, we'd have to ask um, Charlie or, or Ray if that's true, but I have no reason to doubt it at this moment. The tabernacle was measured in multiples of five. There are five books of the Torah. Matthew's gospel is divided into five books composed of five narratives and five discourses. Jesus bled from five wounds on the altar of the cross whose two hands, two feet, and his head, also his side, but that was water, no blood. Daniel proclaimed the fifth kingdom to be an everlasting kingdom, representative of five. So I gave you these two pages for numbers because that's the numbers are part of the specialized version of the prophetic language. We're going to go back to this page. This is my primary number one source when I'm dealing with biblical prophetic language. We're going to spend the next half hour or so. We're going to look at some of these and then we'll, we'll go to a break. And when we come back from the break, we will, um, when we come back from the break today, we will do a, uh, bit of a question and answers. If you'd like, um, real quick, let me do this real fast. So if you have any passages in the prophets that you've always been puzzled over, or you're curious about, we'll, we'll, we'll try to help you with those. Be ready to post them or ask about them in the second hour or at least whenever we come back from the break. And we'll see, I'm not perfect with prophets, don't get me wrong, but I do tend to read them a little more clearly than just about anybody I've ever encountered. Um, and when I do find somebody who reads them more clearly than I do, I, I suck them dry of their knowledge as fast as I can drain it from them. Uh, unfortunately, most of those people are dead and all I can do is read their books. But this is an area that I wanna know about, not because I'm trying to read the future, but because the prophets are important in properly understanding the way God works through humanity and in time. 
it, it's important to understanding how to properly see his hand moving in the events of humankind, of man's, what we would think of as secular history. So may take us back to this page. When we go through it, you know, God, he's the first unity, light, truth, God, creator. On this page, all you got to do is you, you kind of hover over these little links over here. They give you the, the passages in the Bible where they're drawing this definitions from. And you just hover over them and they've they've hyperlinked this. So you can just, they're, they're reading from the King James Bible, but still they'll tell you where they're drawing this from. Like 10 or 10th part, completeness of the law and restoration, Deuteronomy 4.12. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the word, but saw um, similitude. It's hard for me to read it to you, folks. It's too far away. Only ye heard a voice, and this is and declared unto you my his covenant, which has commanded you to perform even ten commandments, and his and wrote them on two tablets. His covenant is ten commandments, ten words. Exodus. It's just a repeating of the same thing. So this is where you get ten means God's law or perfect law, completeness. Uh, tenth part is also a portion of a tithe. Um, twelve, that's the rule of the kingdom of heaven. So twelve tribes, twelve apostles. Incidentally, <laughs> there are 13 tribes and 13 apostles. <laughs> so you do with you will with that. Two, or the second or twain, that's division, divided, separation, witness, testimony. They give you all the passages for that. 24 or 20 and four, that's priestly courses of governmental perfection. Three or the third, that's number of Trinity or resurrection. Be careful with that. Some people argue over the Trinity. I got it. I understand. I'm aware of that. Um, four or fourth, that's worldwide. This is the Northwest, South and East. This is one of the first places where you're going to run into the prophetic meaning. When it says um, the four winds are the four corners, it means worldwide. It means the whole globe. Now, here's where the prophetic language, this is part of what I'm talking about. It's a very narrow mind. If it says the whole world, it's talking about the known world at the time where the prophet is writing. Generally think Mediterranean basin. Okay. When it says the four winds, it's talking about the entire globe. This is the prophet's way of denoting. So when you say, you know, the whole world was flooded. That doesn't necessarily mean the globe was floated. I believe it was, don't get me wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. If the prophet had meant for you to understand it that way, the prophet would have probably read or wrote something along the order of the four corners of the earth were flooded. And why do I say this? Because the whole world in the context, usually when it's running into scripture, it's talking about the world immediately around Israel. Because it's very, the Bible is Israeli in Israel, the Holy Land, and Jerusalem centric. But they're well aware of the isles afar off. The ancients were not stupid. They knew about the, what we think of as the, you know, the new world, America. They knew about it. They were well aware of it. And we know that. If we read our ancient writings, we know that they were aware of it. They also knew about China. They, they had, they already had the, the beginning of the silk trade roads into India and China, they knew about those places, but they don't, they don't really pay any attention to them because they're afar off. They don't care. So this is one of the areas where you have to be careful when you're reading the prophets. Sometimes when they say the whole world, they don't literally mean the entire globe, but when they want you to know about the globe, they will say the four corners of the earth or the four winds or something like that, North, South, East, and West, they will bring that up. 
Um, this is a case of context will help you a great deal there. Um, let's see where else were we? 40 and two, four fourths worldwide, uh, five and fifth. That's a restitution fairness. It's also uh, grace. It's the Torah. Um, the sixth or the sixth, that's man. That's the number of man. And that's right in here. God created man in his own image and the image of God created him male and female created them. And he did that on the sixth day. Um, it's also the number of one less than perfection. 666 man God or man as his own God. Because um, whenever God wants to say something, he'll say it once, no, twice, you know, two witnesses. If he really wants to hammer it home, he'll say it three times. Seven or the seventh, that's the number of God, perfection, rest, whole, or completion. 70, that's the entire world again, but 70 is also a reflection of um, the 70 nations. It's a reflection of the 70 members of the Holy Council, the uh, Divine Council worldview. It, it was the number of how many um, men were appointed to help Moses. It's also the number of how many members are in the Sanhedrin. The, the, the Moses and the Sanhedrin, Moses' helpers, these are a reflection of the Divine Council worldview in heaven which you will run into in Psalm 82, 89, and I think it's in 2 Kings. You will run into the divine council if you know what you're looking for. It's in the scriptures. Eight and eighth, resurrection. Nine is judgment. Uh, 99 is almost complete, all but one. It, they don't have an account for all of this. You got to check this stuff. Um, Aaron's rod, a, a token against rebellion or rebels. Adultery backsliding unfaithfulness to god union of church and in the world you know government and church church and state it's idolatry worship with other gods and over here you definitely have passages that make this this is a good one this one definitely true air spirit or piety false theories the altar christ um or the crucifixion um that's one if you were doing the um the, the classes with Ellis Schofield, he's already got that understood. The color of amber, also orange or fire. Um, Ammon, a people or a son of my people. Ancient of days is God. Angel of the Lord, Jesus. Be careful with that one. Angel of the Lord and word of the Lord are in your Old Testament. And they all tend to refer to each other as Yahweh. Like they're all the same being, but they're not the same. I don't understand that. I'm just aware that it's there. Um, angels, messenger of God or of Christ. Also, it just means messengers. Sometimes in the scriptures, men are referred to as angels. But in the prophets, these are going to be messengers of God. Every now and then in the prophets, Yeshua, Jesus, is referred to as an angel. So pay attention to context. Anointing with oil. It's receiving of the Holy Spirit or cleansing from sin or a special anointing to be prepared for doing something. Um, apparel, also garments. That's your character, good or bad, depends on the type of apparel. If you're paying attention in the prophets, you're going to see change of clothes mentioned a lot. Sometimes a change of clothes is a physical manifestation of a change of character. Be careful when you read the prophets. If he says, you know, he had a change of clothes, it could mean a change of heart. It could be a way of saying that that person was reborn or that person's character changed. This is, this is what I'm talking about. The prophets have a very specific way of using the symbolic language. In the prophets, it is almost always consistent. 
Um, once you learn the meanings of these words, it's consistent. They very rarely use them out when they're talking in prophetic terms. They, I'm not aware of any cases where the prophets use these words outside of their prophetic meanings when they're prophesying an apple. It's God's people, God's law, uh, apple of thine eye, uh, thine eye. That's law, God's people. His, that's where that saying comes from in our language as well. It comes from the Bible ark. That's Christ. Ultimately. It's the Messiah, but the Ark of the Covenant. I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the strong covenant, the strong promise. Christ. So you can find that over here in the in the passages. Ark of the Testimony. We call it Ark of the Covenant. It's actually Ark of the Testimony if you're talking about the actual physical device that they carried around. That's the Ark of the, of the Covenant, Mercy Seat, where God dwells, etc. These two passages here, careful of the context, they tend to bounce back and forth a lot. Arms, God's power and strength. There'll be a second exodus and God will draw out his people a second time by his mighty arm, by his power and strength. Armor, righteousness of Christ. Arrows, word or message, tongue, lightning. I will bend the bow of Judah and fill it full of the arrow of Ephraim, of the word or message of Ephraim. I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Ephraim is another way of saying the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I will fill it full of the ch Christian church. I'll bend the bow of Judah, the house of Judah. I'll bend the Jews, and I'll fill that bow full of the arrows of Ephraim, the Christian church. Asleep, death, or dead, astray, to leave the truth or the way, lost. Same thing. He's awake. He's resurrected. He's alive physically or spiritually. This is babes and sucklings. That's unfamiliar with the Bible, but desiring to learn. Those who are, I bet you we have a few of them here with us today. I was told I'm not allowed to use this language because it's insulting. I'm sorry. If it's biblical, I'm going to use that imagery because that's the only way that I can teach so that when you go follow up behind me, you'll find the same language. Baby or a newborn. That's a new Christian, a born again, converted person. Babylon, confusion. Religious apostasy, false church, and tyranny. Balaam, one who teaches orders to do evil, comp uh, compromise, advancing our own interests in idolatry. Balak, strive or fight against Israel. Balance, it's justice, it's worldly-minded. Uh, banner, God, uh, God's ensign or love, the gospel ensign. Barefoot, humility, thus reverence. David's the barefoot king. He's the humble king. Um, remember if you're barefoot, that's without inheritance. <laughs> Barley. Sometimes they, they think it might be representative of Christ. It could also probably be first fruits of which Jesus is the first. So barley could be first fruits as well. More than likely, that's what it means. If, if you're getting into the prophetic nature of the feasts, that's what that would probably mean. Barren. It, uh, no converts to Jesus. It means childless. Ephraim will be barren or keep losing his children. In that prophetic language about how Ephraim will bring forth his children to be slaughtered, there's probably double and triple meaning here. And Ephraim being the lost tribes, <clears throat> you're going to bring forth your children to be slaughtered. Ephraim's going to fight wars for other people's causes. Also probably means Ephraim's going to slaughter their children. Also means Ephraim's going to lose their children to apostasy. So in this case, Ephraim will have a barren womb. If you've dried up womb, if you read that, that's the United States today. 
over the that's that's the existence of the united states since it was born we fought wars for the sake of others and we took no property from it we just freed other people then we started to sacrifice our children to moloch through abortion moloch and baal and now we have a barren womb in that most of the church is filled with people who are not converts to christ false believers so the prophecy about ephraim fits us perfectly fits our history then there's a basket and bat. They have no idea what that means, so they didn't fill it in. They don't guess. I love this about these people. They know they're prophetic, but they don't know what they mean, so they don't try to fit anything there. They just let you know that it's used symbolically, and they tell you, I don't know. That's one of this. That's why this is my primary go-to source. A bear is a wicked ruler. Beasts, kingdoms, powers, government, political power. You'll find that in Daniel and in Revelation. A bed, it's tribulation, you know, lay in the bed you made. The testings, you know, it's also a grave, a Sabbath of rest. They give you these different passages all through in here. A bed, image of a bed, that's the Sabbath day, likeness to the Sabbath image of Sunday, rest. Bees, destroyers. I will whistle for the bee of Assyria. They are destroyers. You, That's part of the prophets. And that's why whenever you see the bees around a world leader, that is a that is a spiritual symbol that you're dealing with a destroyer and if you see flies a symbol of death we'll get to that in a minute too so destroyer and death how many times did we see bees around obama and also you see flies around a lot of different leaders lately where before we didn't that's symbolic language that's spiritual world talking to you folks uh Beheld and beholding, that's uh, joy or grief. And, and I know you can do this on your own. And I'm going to start speeding up here in a minute because there's a few I want to make sure we go over. Um, and I want to get all this done in this hour. So let's pop this going for a little bit more. You can go through these later on your own. Binding Satan, it's a symbolic uh, chain of circumstances. Um, birds. So wherever the corpse is, the, you, that's where you'll find the vultures or the birds. Or it talks about the birds will feast on the corpses of the of the kings of the world in Revelation. These are people, deceitful people, enemies and evil persons, um, unclean spirits. So what you're basically talking about is the world will eat the flesh of those that have been defeated. They'll. They, it's like climbing over a dead body to get to what you want, or you're climbing over people on your climb to, on your way to up the ladder. It's the same type of think, thinking here. Um, bitter, sorrow, or crying. Black, this is wickedness, error, false teachings, moral darkness, sin, apostasy. The sun will turn to sackcloth. In other words, it'll turn black, right? Well, uh, the sun is the gospel. The gospel will become wicked. Error, false teachings, moral darkness, sin, and apostasy. The gospel will shine its light no more. Now, that does not mean there will not be a physical manifestation. You will have solar eclipses. But it also talks about a time in when the, which the gospel that's being taught no longer has saving power or force in it. Blasphemy is idolatry. Uh, blessed or blessed, blind. Blood is life. Um, it can also be a symbol of a sin, so be careful with that. Uh, blowing of the winds, that's the Holy Spirit doing uh, its office in, in regeneration. Blue. Blue is the color of God's law. Obedience, faithfulness to the law. This is the color that was originally left out of the uh, early LGBT color uh, flags. They left that color out. I wonder why. Body, the church of God or Christ's, you know, God's people. Bones is a person or persons. 
valley of dried bones. No, it's just a dead nation. Well, yeah, contextually it was, but it was talking about spiritually dead people. And then it says, wake back up. I'll put flesh back on the nation of Israel. Book, that's God's design, knowledge or counsel. It's also a book of the prophets. Um, born to be converted, you know, born again. Uh, bow, God's word, the Bible, weapon against evil. I will bend the bow of Judah, the Torah of Judah, and fill it full of the witness of Ephraim. That's what Zechariah was talking about. Who rides out on that white horse with the empty bow in the book of Revelation? Judah. It, the, the Torah will go forth from Judah. The gospel message will, will reach out from Judah. And it's going to who? But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is why I firmly believe that the rider on the white horse with the crown is the risen Messiah. He's riding out to spread the gospel. Either that or it's an image of the gospel. Because the Jews were scattered throughout the world. They brought Torah with them. The church followed and remember, early on, first couple of hundred years, the church kept Torah. It wasn't until Constantine and the rise of the Roman Catholic Church that we started to leave our way. A branch, that's uh, Christians or God's people. It's also those keeping God's laws. Uh, an unfruitful branch are those that don't keep their laws or don't do good deeds. It can also be the wicked. Uh, commandment breakers or descendant off, you know, the broken off branch. So be careful of the context. Uh, different types of metal, uh, brass and bronze, uh, breach, that's a something missing in the law or, or seal wall, bread, the word of God, the Bible or Jesus. Um, see, breast, nurture, place of love and affection and intimacy. Breath of the Almighty, that's the life force. The breath of the Almighty, spirit of God, the Ruach. Briars, wicked persons, lost because of rejection of the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you, the one who's born and choked out by the briars, choked out by other wicked people, becomes lost back into the ways of the life, of the world, rather. The bride, that's God's people in New Jerusalem. There's New Jerusalem. And then, the, you know, not necessarily a physical city. The bridegroom is Jesus. Um, brimstone, judgment of God. This is all the prophetic language. This is what these words mean. A bullock, fatted or young bull, hired men of Egypt. Be careful with that one. That one's actually very, that's true. Uh, burning with fire to destroy or char, uh, change the state completely, their state. Burn them up. Um, convert them. You can burn up the grasses with uh, fire. That means you convert them with the gospel or you destroy them with the gospel. Um, let's see what else we have. A candle or a lampstand or a light. God's word, the Bible. That which produces light or truth. The candlesticks, lampstands, God's churches, the seven churches, God's own witness Bible, the two witnesses, Old and New Testament, Judah, Old, Israel, New, the divorced and married bride, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation are the two houses of Israel. The prophets are very clear on that. This is one of the, re this, this right here, pull out for a minute. You understand, and when we get to the olive trees, you'll see this again. The two olive trees and the two candlesticks. In Book of Revelation, the two witnesses are going to testify. See, that's going to be this guy and this guy, or Moses and jo uh, uh, Isaiah, or whatever, Jeremiah, or Elijah, or whatever. Why are we fighting over that? The prophetic language is very, very clear on this. Go look it up in the passages that they give you. Look it up after class. An olive tree. One's domestic, one's wild. 
The domestic is Judah. The wild is, is Israel, Ephraim, the divorced bride. Because she's no longer part of the family. She's been divorced. The two candlesticks, the two churches, Old and New Testament, the two songs, the songs of Moses and the new song, the song of the lamb. All this imagery, boom. When you understand the prophetic language, this is easy peasy, baby. The two witnesses are the two churches, Jews and Christians. Easy peasy. I don't know why we're fighting over this, but we do. We fight other believers over this. This is nothing that, it's not open to interpretation. The prophets are clear on this. It's in scripture. Why do we fight with this? I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, chaff, the wicked and the ungodly, the chaff will be burned up. You'll see that chains, the laws of God or man in prophecy. So Satan will be bound with a chain. He'll be bound with the law of God. Chariots, the angels, military power, um, see, circumcised. That's the seal of righteousness by faith. Uh, a city, um, woman church, Satan's church. Um, if she's a city on a hill, but it's also God's people. Um, it can be deceived people in Satan's kingdom as well, but be careful because the city on the hill that Yeshua talks about, that's the kingdom of, of Yahweh. Clay, earth, man, man's ideas. This is also going to be in connotation with the color red, um, clothed, alive, spiritually or physically, uh, sinless, put on Christ's life, righteousness, or on your own works. You know, clothe yourself with his righteousness. Clouds can be angels, um, clusters of the vine. That's God's word or a group of doctrines. Coals of fire, cherubim, angels, or cleansing from sin through the God's word. You can heap down coals of fire on their head. In other words, you could convert them through your prayers if you pray fervently enough. Uh, covenant, that's 10 commandments, or there's there's other covenants. We've covered that. Crimson, the red color. This is sin, death, corruption, persecution, destruction. The scarlet is another color for this, another, another symbology for that. You know, the scarlet uh, dragon, the scarlet beast, crowns or kingship, victory, kings, kingdoms, uh, life, righteousness, Holy Spirit. A cup, meted out suffering and judgments, uh, darkness, wickedness, leave up, uh, leave the uprightness and evil, um, lack of understanding, blindness. You know, the sun is going to turn to sackcloth, you know, cold, blackness, covering, it could be the covering of God, secret places, death, trouble. It depends on the, the context here, but look that up. It's all over here in the passages where they show you. Uh, let's see, what other ones are daughters? No, let's see, day. Or light, that's truth. The day star, that's Jesus. Um, days, um, going to be um, a literal year in prophecy or truth. And remember, in the prophet's world, a day is a year, a year is a day. So it says, how many days in prophecy? It's one year. So if a prophet says five days, he means five years. That's over here. You can see where it. this is defined very clearly in the scriptures. Um, the deep, the judgment of the Lord. Do is blessings. You'll be um, when the blessings of the the different tribes. It says so and so will be covered with the dew, or will we'll inherit the dew of meaning the blessings. Um, dogs, Gentiles, evil workers, wicked people, evil pastors, and false teachers. Careful with that one. A door is opportunity. Uh, probation. It's also Jesus' faith and heart. I stand at the door and knock. Um, opportunity there. Dove is a Holy Spirit of God or you know, Holy Spirit of Satan, if it's a silly dove. Dragon, Satan or his agency, the devil. Uh, a drink, receive instructions, participate, do something, drink it in. 
Um, let's see, drunkenness, uh, see wine. We'll get to that. Okay, dried, dried, or dryeth. That's broken spirit or without hope. So the dried bones. Remember, bones are people, you know, lost people. This is this is without hope. This is taught in Ezekiel talking about the dry bones coming back to life. He's talking about the resurrection of the physical nation of Israel. What he's talking about here is they were the Jews were without hope up until that point. That prophecy has been fulfilled. So let's. I'm going to have to push through here. There's a few more. Egypt. That's uh, sin, bondage, bondage of sin, idolatry. Remember that this is physical bondage, and Babylon is spiritual apostasy. Ephraim, the second son of Joseph, Joseph, one of the tribes of Israel, the ten northern tribes of Israel other than Judah and Benjamin, a.k.a. Samaria. That's also a way of talking about the lost tribes. Esau is Edom. That's got a prophetic meaning in and of its own that you have to dig for. Eyes, wisdom, understanding, prophets of the gods. So when you see that angel that has all the hundred eyes, it's just a way of, you know, in Ezekiel, the wheel with all its eyes, that's just saying it's covered with wisdom. Um, faces, the mind or will, mindset, character, or trait. So the beast with four faces, it's got four natures to it, four sides to his character or nature. Um, false prophet, one who claims to, to speak for God, but actually speaks for Satan. Fat can be wickedness and sin. Um, the feet, the actions, the life, the doing also can be a idiom for genitals. The field, the world, fig tree, they didn't cover that, but the fig tree is a, an idiom for Israel. Finger of God, the Holy Spirit, fingers, fire, presence of God, the word of God, the Ten Commandments, law, trials. So the two witnesses are going to call down rain and fire. Rain is blessing, fire is the word of God. Fire is color of amber, God's glory. Fishes, people, men, fishes of, fishers of men, preachers of the gospel. There's a people out, you know what, we're going to end up having to do part of this after the, after the break. There are people out there right now that'll tell you that the fish symbol is a pagan symbol. In the Bible, it is not. Pagans twist it. The Dagon's the fish god, but it's been twisted. The imagery in the Bible is very clear. It says, and makest men as the fishes of the sea. And in here it says, and he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the fishes are lost in the sea, in the chaos of what might be. They may or may not come to follow God. They're, they're men lost in the sea. He's going to make them fishers of men because he's going to go fish them fish out of that sea, out of the chaos of, of uncertainty, and put them into the kingdom of Yahweh. The imagery is right there when you start looking at it. It's fishers of men, preachers of the gospel. Flame and fire, angels and ministers. Um, flocks can be men. Uh, floods, ungodly men, um, ungodly people. The, um, the, in the book of Revelation, the Israel flees and the earth swallows up the flood of men. You know, the, the Satan opens his mouth and tries to swallow up the church with a flood. It's a flood of men. It's ungodless, un unruly men. You know, the, the masses of Gentiles. Uh, a flower, that's man and glory of man. Uh, let's see, let's see what else we have here before we go to the break. Forehead, your mind. Fornication is illicit connection between the church and the world, women and kings. Um, the fountainhead or the fountain, living waters, that's God. And the, and the righteous men falling into sin is the troubled fountain or a dirty fountain. Four beasts or four creatures, heavenly beings with special responsibilities, four corners of the earth, the four directions of the compass worldwide. 
uh, see, first fruits, that's the redeemed or the undefiled. Frog, spirits of the devil, unclean spirits. That, that one's book of Revelation defines that. Fruit, righteousness of the souls, work of Christ, righteousness in God's words. Fruit of the flesh, that's characteristic of seen in non-Christians. Fruit of the spirit, characteristics seen in Christians. We'll stop right there with G. We'll go to our break here. We're going to give you six minutes. When we come back, we're going to read through a few more of these. And then we're going to have a period where if you've got a passage that you want to throw at us, you know, you can start posting them whenever you want. Charlie, I'll organize them and get them ready. We'll see if we can't help you with them. But the prophetic language, this is what we're going over right now. This is how the prophets use this language. Now, this Bible, this, this imagery is not consistent throughout the whole scripture, not always, but the prophets use it very specifically. And when you understand the imagery that the prophets are using, a lot of their prophecies become a lot easier to understand and should help to unite the church. Doesn't always, but it should help to bring peace within the body, not division. CN6.
All right. Hopefully everybody's back in their seat. We're going to get going again because I want to try and get through this as fast as possible. Leave a little time in case we have a question and answer session. And I'm going to pick back up right where we left off. We're starting with the G's. And I'm not going to hit all of these, but I want to hit a few of them like Gentile. Foreign nations, but also the unbelieving people, the masses of unbelieving people and swarms of locusts. They're going to give you, um, I think that's Strong's Concordance number for there. But that is actually a very, you know, uh, when he's let out of the pit with the swarms of locusts, the 200 million locusts or whatever. This is why those are people of foreign nations or foreign lands. This is why Schofield sees them as the jihadis in his his understanding of the Bible. He's got good reason to think that. That's that's why I'm talking about the prophetic language here. Um, let's see, goats, wicked people. And we want to get through this too. Grapes, that's doctrine, word of God. Um, grass, people. In Book of Revelation, a third of the grass is burned up. That's a third of the people that are burned up. Grasshoppers are people captains. That's leaders of, of people. Um, the ground is earth, hail, let's see, hair, hammer, um, hair, glory of covering, righteousness and unrighteousness, to, both. Um, that's in connection also with uh, Samson there. Let's see, what a harlot, apostate church or uh, an apostate religion, always, always in the prophetic language, it's going to be apostasy. Um, let's see, the heart, that's the mind, the feelings. Not necessarily emotions as we think of it, but this is sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, in the prophetic mind, uh, the prophetic language, heart usually means mind. Um, but you got to pay attention because this page also has a uh, biblical imagery, in which case it can mean your feelings. Um, let's see, hidden manna, that's Christ, his word, his parables. Um, his parables are very, very, there's multi-layered in them. Hills also see mountains. We'll get to them. <laughs> this is an idiom, him that pisseth against the wall. That just means men. Um, Holy one of Israel is the Lord, is Jesus. Honey, you know, dream of a land of milk and honey. That's prosperity and the word of God, law of God and commandments. Horn, kings, kingdoms, power and strength. Horses can mean strength and safety. Also power and battle, military power. House is a church of people or buildings. House of Israel is God's people. Mm, be careful with this one. No, 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 no. This is one where I would fill in the house of Israel is the northern kingdom as defined in Jeremiah. So they're missing one here. You have to remember this, this page is put together. It's very good. I use it. I'm not poo-pooing it, but it's put together by people who see things strictly from the what I call the Christian visible church point of view. They're not looking at it from also the sister, um, the, the married sister Jewish uh, Torah observant point of view. If you do that, you're going to find that the house of Israel is the Northern kingdom. Um, Hunter, husband, idol, image, incense, iron, Israel, Jacob. Jacob is going to be, uh, he, they call it the unconverted people. Um, be careful with that. Jacob usually is the prophet's way of referring to all Yahweh's people, the whole house uh, the whole, all the redeemed. Um, Jerusalem is going to be the city of God, city of David. Uh, New Jerusalem is the holy city of heaven, city of God. It's the church. It's the body of believers. Um, he says Jew, spiritual. See, this is a Christian way of thinking. True Christians, members of the remnant church, Israel of God. No, 
whoever did that is looking at this with a little bit of replacement theology. Let's see what his passage is. He says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither, yeah, they don't understand what's going on here in this case. Um, a Jew is going to be a member of the uh, house of Judah. Jezebel, that's a spirit, immorality, idolatry, apostasy, false church, slew the prophets of, of uh, the Lord. This Jordan is going to be spiritual advancement, a triumph, a border to conquer, border of heavenly uh, cannon. Key and keys, that's a controller, jurisdiction, power. Uh, to see what else, the lamb, we know what that is. The land, lamps, lamps, the Lord, God's word, salvation, God's law. We've already covered that once. Um, leaven is for sin and malice. Um, let's see, light and lightning, we've covered that. Lily, linen, fine linen, that's righteousness of the saints. And let's see, what else do we want here? Locusts, destruction, destructive agents, kings, um, those powers of destruction and destroying um marriage uh let's see meal measure of rod just bear with me folks i want to look through these and make sure Akelzadek, that's the king of righteousness king of salem king of peace merchants traders deceitful traders deceivers this is uh people who are in love with money and material things merchants advocates of babylonian teaching so be careful with those um merchant and merchants can mean two different things depending on what the context is um Milk is the basic gospel, basics of God's word. Um, those who are still unskilled in the use or understanding of the Bible. So a land flowing of milk and honey. Remember, both of them refer to understanding of God's word. The moon, that's the church. It reflects sunlight, which is Christ's righteousness. The moon references the church. Um, let's see, morning star, Mount Zion. We know what that is, or most of us should know. Mystery of God is gospel. Well, to some extent, yes. Naked and nakedness, that's unrighteousness. Spiritually or physically dead, sinfulness. Uh, let's see. And that new garment. New garments are the words of God. New wine, truth, true doctrines, believing truth. You don't pour new wine into old wineskins. You don't pour a new covenant into people who aren't ready to accept it. Oil is the Holy Spirit. It can also be um, an anointing. It can be real oil. Olive trees. The two witnesses, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. The olive trees is also uh, figurative of Israel. So if you have the, the domestic olive tree, that's the married bride, that's the house of Judah. The wild olive tree, that is the uh, house of Israel and all the Gentiles grafted in. Um, pasture, food, pastures, pathways, pearls, pit. Uh, I'm just looking to see if there's something else. Color purple, royalty and kings. Uh, rags and raiment, rainbow, that's a token of God's covenant. Red, sin, death, corruption, persecution, destruction. Red is for sin and the blood that cleanses from sin. It's also for the blood, blood of the sacrifice, the blood of life. So be careful with the context, but do not miss the fact that red is also connected, usually connected with scarlet in, the, in sin. So the red dragon, the harlot clothed in red and, and purple. Be careful with those because that's usually bad stuff, not good stuff. Um, righteousness is the cleanliness of my hand. Good word, good works, uh, God's word. Um, a river, peace, God's en enemies. It can also mean death. You got to look into that. There's there's a deeper meanings in river. It can also talk about death and destruction too, depending on the context. 
uh, rod, people pride, wickedness, I'll f- uh, rule the world with a, a rod of iron. Mm, be careful with that. Um, I th- you might want to look at this a little differently here. Um, see, like measuring rod, rule it with a Holy Spirit, power, strength. So depends on the context here in some cases. Um, this is like sackcloth, mourning and sadness. It, all, it can also mean um, uh, blackness. Uh, Scarlet talks about sin there. The sea, peoples, the multitudes, also chaos. Um, uh, But usually the peoples and multitudes who are lawless. So when he puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, um, that's not, that's a double entendre in Revelation. The sea would be chaos where there's no life possible because it's unruliness. The land is where life can exist. So he puts one foot on chaos and one foot on order but he would also be putting himself on one foot on the lawless people, the non-believer, and one foot on the rock, those who have found themselves into the rock, into the word of Yahweh. So there's lots of double entendres in, in Hebrew thinking. You got to be looking for that. Second death is the lake of fire, not necessarily death Death as we think of it. Could be eternal torture. Got to be careful with that. Um, secret seed seer's serpent is a Satan, also chaos monster. Uh, the seven candles, candlesticks in the holy places of the sanctuary, the seven churches, the seven spirits of the church, um, seven-headed monster. Those are seven political powers. Got that good. The seven lamps, also the spirits and the angels. Um, the 7,000 is the remnant, sevenfold to give all maximum amount. Um, so like when it says seven times 70, he's stressing seven as much as he possibly can. Um Shadow, God's people, shepherd, Jesus Christ, or any leader of the church, you know, like shepherds, pastors, ones who teach the word, um, shine, short and sickle. I'm looking for a few other things here that I'm uh, trying to get smoke, the wicked sin. It can also mean prayers. Be careful with that one too. Cause in the book of revelation, it's very clearly the prayer of the saints in some places. Um, sprinkle staff, stand stars, stars, angels. Usually messengers and ministers also can be teachers. Um, Stones of fire, cherubim, angels. You'll find that they've taken that a little too literally in that movie with um, about Noah. Um, Oh, criminy. I can't remember. It just came out. I can't remember the actor's name at the time, but they've got giants walking around that are burning um, stone monsters or whatever. But this is taking scripture a little too crazy. Uh, streets of the strength, stubble. Okay, stubble is also wicked people. You know, the Bible talks about the stubble being burned up. Son, that's that's Jesus, the light of truth. His righteousness is also the gospel. Uh, Sword is the word of God. Uh, Tabernacle is the place of worship, wherever that may be at the time. Tares are wicked people, non-believers. Thieves, thousands, thousands. Thousands, 10 times, 10 times, 10, they say perfect law and they give you their reasoning over here. I have no problem with that. Um, Torment tower, travail, trailing trees. Yes, a person or dry tree, a a person separated from God. A, A fruitful tree is a Christian that's bearing good fruit. A green tree, a person with life in Jesus. Trees are very symbolic of life and of your nature and of your character. Um, so be careful of that. Um, look to the metaphors of how the tree is being, um, talked about there. Troubled sea is wicked, wicked people. Again, trumpet warning with Christ's power, uh, warning from God trumpet singular 
That's the leaders assemble and signal trumpets, voices of warning, warning messages. Careful how it's used. Um, 24 elders, we've done that one. The two witnesses, Old and New Testament, uh, talked about all of that. Um, Tyree is a um, metaphorical reference to Satan and Lucifer, but also to the city itself, which was into, you're going to tie that with merchants, the merchants of Tyree. Uh, those people who push Babylonian teaching, also the wicked rulers and, um, and people, tradesmen, businessmen. So that'll help you with, with the prophets. A vineyard, that's Israel. Um, the virgin is God's people, the pure church, most cases. Um, let's see what else. Watchmen, pastors, warns the people. Those are also prophets in the sense that you're not telling the future. You're correcting the, the teachings. Water, Holy Spirit of Jesus. It's um, also the gospel message. Waters can be people, men, nations, inhabitants. Waves can be righteousness. Um, there's also other things like islands and stuff like that um, that represent uh, smaller republics and things like this. White robes. Whore is a lawbreaker. Um, apostasy. Wilderness is a place of refuge of God, a land of great drought, a land of water, lack of spirit. Usually the wilderness means the Gentile nations in the prophetic language. And wind can be false doctrines, or it can be strife, war, desolation, things like that. Wine can talk about doctrine. Um, wings, speed, swiftness, protection of God. Also be careful. Sometimes it also is referring to uh, literal wings, like spreading out um, your prayer shawl. The, the area underneath your arms where the prayer shawl was, was called um, your wings. Let's see. Worm, worm, wormwood or gall, gay or gall, sorrow, bitterness, and judgment. Wrath of God, seven last plagues, yellow and Zion. Okay. That's where I want to go for today. The prophetic language. <clears throat> Let me wrap this up just a little bit, and then we'll see if anybody has any questions. When the prophets use this symbology, uh, Moses is going to use the same symbols as John does in the book of Revelation for the same things. Unless the Bible changes the meaning of that prophetic term, you don't have authority to change it or reinterpret it. The scripture and the prophet will almost, this is one of the things I learned from both the hidden beast and from Dr. Heiser in the unseen realm. The prophet will interpret his visions for you almost, excuse me, almost always. Almost always. Uh, Peter had a vision about, we can eat anything we want now. Keep reading. Peter tells you that that's got nothing to do with food. It's about the Gentiles. It's about the Gentiles are no longer to be considered unclean. And he tells you that. It's not food. So, well, there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, what goes in your mouth doesn't defile you. It just passes out the gut and thus he declared all foods clean. No, that's not in your scriptures. That's a scribal note where it says, thus he declared all foods clean. Food was never redefined. Clean has been clean from the beginning. It was never redefined. You were allowed to start eating meat after the flood, but Noah still knew clean from unclean animals, didn't he? Yes, he did. So it wasn't necessary to define them at that point because in that point in time, everybody still knew what clean and unclean was. It was only after we were in the physical bondage of Egypt and we lost our way in a lot of things that Moses had to tell us what clean was again. And once he defines food, the Bible never changes that again. Well, it's the same way with the prophetic language. A, a lampstand is never changed. A mountain is never changed. A beast is never changed. The, the, the prophetic meaning of these symbols is never changed anywhere in Scripture. We have no right to change it. 
And when we start doing that, we start causing false doctrines. We start causing division within the church. We start causing people to stumble in their faith and in their walk, and we destroy. If you are working into the spirit of destruction and nihilism, you're on the wrong team, brothers and sisters. So notice what I said I like about that site. There are a lot of words in there that they know are prophetic. They know they have a, a symbolic meaning in scripture. They didn't find a passage that defined it, so they left it alone. That's the way we should all be happy to leave certain things alone. Say, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, we worked you through this. I've shown you some of the books. I've given you a lot of online reference material that's free. So the only thing that you're going to really have to spend today, that, and if you were to follow my urging, you're going to either need a Kindle and an Amazon account, or you're going to need the Amazon app on your computer or on, on your phone. And I'd go spend the $7 for that book on connections. That is a very good book. Like I said, he's got a foot in both worlds. He's got a foot just in the biblical symbology, the biblical imagery that runs throughout. And he's got a foot into the prophetic language. It's an excellent book. I had forgotten just how good it is until I put it back, pulled it back down yesterday. Hadn't read it for over 15, 20 years. But it's a good one. It's a really good book. Highly recommended if you're interested in, in the biblical imagery and the prophetic language. Otherwise, you can do the prophetic studying right there on, on your computer. The case in point, let, let me just give you one little, all of Yeshua, Jesus' prophecies, I mean, uh, uh, parables, excuse me, his parables are prophecies. They're all prophecies, if you get down deep enough. So we all know the one about the 10 virgins, the 10 bridesmaids, and they let their lamps go out. What is lamp? Lamp is symbolic of light, of the teaching of, of God, of Yahweh, Torah. They let their Torah go out. Five let, five, symbol of Torah, lamp, teachings of God, God's word is his, his way. Five is Torah, five is his, lamp is his way. See how they tie together? Five let their lamp go out. They were locked out of the wedding supper. Five kept their lamp lit. They were allowed into the wedding supper. What is the wedding supper? That's when the divorced bride comes back and marries the king. Jesus. And what is the oil they needed? That is also the prophetic language of the oil is the word, the gospel. All that imagery right there, it's prophetic. And there's how many bridesmaids? Ten. Ten is perfection of God's word and government, but it is also because it's the Ten Commandments, but it's also the number of the lost tribes, the northern kingdom. Ten. 10 of the Northern Kingdom will let their light go out. 10 won't. It's talking about the one-tenth part of the remnant. All of this stuff. In Hebrew thinking, every bit of that. If you're a really good, strong believer in his day, when Yeshua tells that parable, all of that stuff comes up into your head. And you start tying it all together. Hebrew is very much, there's a guy who tries to explain men and women. He says, men are waffles and women are spaghetti. Because men compartmentalize things and women mix it all together. If you've ever been in the Middle East, it is common for Western men to think of Middle Eastern men as very effeminate. And that's because they have that spaghetti thinking. So to us, we think them as being effeminate. They're not. They can be rough and tough just like we can be. They can be fierce warriors. It's their thinking is different from the Western world. We're very Greek. Greek is waffle thinking. Hebrews are happy to just mix everything together. So it's not that this is a men and women thing. This is the way we've been socialized in the Western world.
Hebrews are happy to mix all that fuzzy feeling together. So you've kind of got to learn to think that way yourself. So Charlie, did we have anything on the board that anybody had questions about? Oh, what's with the crickets? That's what we got from the board. But, oh, okay. But I have, well, I haven't told him. If you've got questions, folks, shoot them at me now. Yeah, I I have one that I know a little bit about, but I think this is one of the ones that's very key because I think this is tied into the Lacanza, the the whatever the left Tim LaHaye left Tim behind, yeah, left behind thing that causes confusion. So here we go, Second Peter three eight. Okay. All right. And do you want me to bring that up or do you want to bring, how, how do you want to do that? Well, I don't have it where I can bring it up, but you can go ahead and just read it. Okay. So this is the one that talks about, um, let's see here where, where. Okay. But okay. do not, but do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved that the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Right. Yeah. So, um, so you just told us that in prophetic language a day is a year but he's not speaking he's prophetically here a thousand years so so how does this work well and first of is all it really a he's he's years? not he's not speaking prophetically here right. um but then yeah hold on folks charlie just went and did something <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> yeah he did i know exactly what he did charlie did it Charlie did, did it. Let's bring this up. Okay. If you've been following our slide presentation with Ellis Schofield's um, understanding of prophecy, especially in, in the book of Revelation, what I have here is 2 Peter 3.8. I'm on Bible Gateway. Very powerful tool for you. So I brought it up in the NASB because that's what I usually read at it. But then I went over to Mounts Interlinear. And this only works for New Testament pro, uh, passages. But this is the Greek interlinear. The thousand here is chileo. That is defined as a thousand here according to them, but that is not what chileo means. If you were watching the slideshow, chileo is an indefinite thousands. This is the exact same word that's used in the book of Revelation for the um millennial reign so what peter's actually telling us is with with god with yahweh a day is as a thousands of years and thousands of years is as a day in this case he's not being prophetic i don't think so i think in this case what peter's doing is trying to tell us that time doesn't mean jack to yahweh not like it does to us but this is a case of where what you have here is why it's important to keep biblical imagery separate from the prophetic language. Okay, in this case, Peter's not talking as a prophet. We'll go back here and um, read the chapter real quick, 3.8. The coming day of the Lord. It says, but uh, his word, the present heavens and earth being reversed. And he says, but do not let this one fact escape that the Lord is. Not. Okay. What he's talking about here is that it could take a long time. Right. So he's talking about the coming day of the Lord. And then he goes off and he tells the people listening to him, but be patient. It could take a long time. Yeah. As and, a day for you is a thousand or thousands one, of years. Uh, I'm using Bible hub and it, it uses helps word studies talking about that word that's used there. It can also mean total inclusiveness. Yes, it so can. It's like, you know, but, all time but see, put this together. Is, this is how 
we can get wrapped around the axle. Um, because know, with, we with want a, we're so needy for a definitive, this has got to be what it means, hardcore meaning. We're not happy to say, I don't know. One of the most beneficial things that a believer can train themselves to do is be happy not knowing. That's where faith yeah. and trust comes in. Just leave that one to, to, to God, to Yahweh and Yeshua, Jesus. And if and when the Holy Spirit ever wants you to know it, he'll enlighten you. He'll open your eyes to it. But it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know. You don't have to know. Um, sometimes it's good enough just to have a fuzzy kind of sort of kind of feeling about understanding it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it, when you start trying to force the pieces together, that's when you're going to launch yourself off into profit into heresy. Just like if you're understanding the prophetic language, mystery Babylon is not a mystery. Go back and read that passage in revelation. Mystery Babylon's riding on a beast, right? And she's filled full of the blood of the, of the believers, the saints. And she's got all these names on her head. Babylon is what? Apostasy and spiritual um, bondage. She's a harlot. She's got the color of sin and royalty. What do we know of her right now? We know we're dealing with the church. She's a harlot. That means it's apostasy. Apostasy only comes from believers. You cannot be a non-believing apostate. By definition, that's not possible. Apostasy comes from somebody who has once believed and then turned astray, aside, turned, turned away from the true faith and started twisting the teachings have left the path on purpose. So she's also royalty. Well, who's the royalty here? We share in the kingship with the, with Messiah, the whole body, both Jews and Gentile church, you know, the Christian church, the, the married and divorced brides. So we share in that, but we're also sinful in the fact that the church has turned apostate. As you turn apostate, you become sinful and you start doing exactly what Jesus said. You start killing true believers you call them heretics and you kill them thinking you're doing God's work, which is exactly what Jesus was telling people was going to happen. That mystery Babylon is the visible church. And that's what caused the Protestant revolution is they recognized the Holy Roman Catholic church as the whore of Babylon. Only they didn't walk out of Babylon all the way. They're still stuck. And the Catholic church has told them that you still keep Sunday you still keep our feasts. You're still under our seal. Well, the Hebrew Roots Movement has gone so far in the opposite direction. They've gone back to being Judaizers, and they put themselves back under the law of circumcision. But they also keep the Tim LaHaye left behind part of Protestantism. Yes. For the most part. Yeah. So, But if we're listening to the prophets, this is not hard to do. This is not difficult, folks. Um. You just got to learn the prophetic language and then substitute it when you're reading the prophets. When I first started to do this, I printed that page out that I had shown you. It, you can download it from your homework or from the website I gave it to you. They let you print it. They let you save it as a PDF. If you save it as a PDF, all the hyperlinks work. It's easy to save. Um, I, I put it, printed that out, and I would read the prophets side by side with that piece of paper. You know, It's like five or six pages, but I'd run through it. And I'd look for what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And then there were several other pages that I had to use that, you know, I had to bounce back and forth when I was first learning because maybe one of them doesn't have all the, or I'm not totally sure that's what it means. And I'd triangulate. But over time, 
it, it got to where I don't need those anymore. I, I've learned the prophetic language. And Charlie can attest to this. Charlie and, and Natasha have both. We'll get passages of the of the prophets being read sometimes in our Sabbath studies or in our, our Sabbath worship services when and I'll just start translating out loud for people. And it you realize that I'm not special. I'm not special. I've just learned their language. But when I start translating the, the prophet's language, it, it all of a sudden makes a lot of sense. I read that one passage to you while we were sharing a meal together after the service. Remember that one time, yep, Charlie? Yep. And all of a sudden, that passage wasn't so confusing anymore. Right. All I was doing was inserting the meaning of the symbolic language. That's it. That's all I did. I put the meaning in on top of the symbolic and came into meaning. It, it was clear. It was easy. It wasn't a mystery anymore. It's not, this is one of the ways that Yahweh, God, ensures that a non-believer can read the Bible and not get jack out of it, not understand a word of it. Um, and you can't. Some of the passages in the prophets is it's gibniff garbledygook if you don't understand the language they're using. Once you understand the language they're using, this is easy peasy stuff, man. It doesn't mean you're going to understand all of it perfectly but you're going to get enough of the gist that you're not going to be upset with it or you shouldn't be. Um, he'll get you in the ball field. You might still be up in the cheap seats of center field, but the prophet, once you learn the prophetic language, they'll, you'll get yourself in the ball in, inside the ballpark of what he's trying to tell you, what he's trying to teach you. Just like um, if you dig into this deep enough, gemstones have prophetic meanings. So all these gemstones that we're told are decorating Satan. You know, he was a, it was a shining cherub in the, in the garden of, uh, with the burning stones, the burning stones being the cherubs, the other angels, the other high order angels. Um, each one of those stones has got a prophetic meaning to it. So go at, look that up one time when you when you just want to dig into that. Oh, by the way, it was it was Noah with Russell Crowe. That that is a that is a heretical film, man. That is just an abomination of a film. Just bleh. not worth watching if you're a believer. Um, but that's because you got non-believers reading the Bible thinking they know what it means. One of these days, we're going to have to take care of these people who with the ancient aliens and the Anakai are, um, the Anakai are space aliens or whatever. A new guy, it's God. We might just sit and watch Dr. Heiser with his three, two, one pop, take this guy apart. That's hilarious <laughs> to watch, but it's just rip him. Hey, look, man. You have no arms, no legs. An old hairy dude with the uh, ancient aliens have not yet begun to fight. <laughs> I don't think it works this way, dude. But do we have any other questions out on the board anywhere? Does but the flesh? Yeah, does but the flesh? <laughs> She's getting better at this. Yeah. <laughs> mm, thank you. In and out, in and out. <laughs> We're going to have to change her name. <laughs> Come on, students. We need some All right. Questions well, if we don't here, have anything, man. we'll wrap for the day, man. Jeez. I um, thought we would have had some questions. No, today. no, no, no. Not always. It's, <laughs> it's I understand okay. how it goes. Tomorrow, as we're waiting to see, just in case somebody comes up with something, tomorrow we're going to try to wrap up Ellis Schofield's understanding of the prophetic timeline and imagery with Book of Revelation and everything. And I'm going to do my best to actually try to unstraighten some of the stuff that might be a little um, confusing for some folks. The Chosen is very Roman Catholic, Sailor Son. Be careful with that movie. The very first season was great. After that, they start going farther and farther into Catholicism, and it gets away from scriptural teachings. 
Um, so be careful with that. Like for one, one example in, and I know that some of this is little stuff, but it's important. Um, in season two, Peter's sitting there with the group saying he tried a pork chop one time, you know, and he goes, it was good. And all this crap, you know, that's unclean. Remember when Peter has his vision, he says, never Lord, never has an unclean food touch these lips. Well, it might seem like a little thing, but remember, we just read the prophetic, uh, imagery here in one of the the nasty words there is used for people who teach jezebel teaches compromise with the world well that video of the chosen is compromising the scriptures little by little you start small and you get people to accept that thing and that's one way of undermining clean food eating um and and clean food eating is not going to condemn you to hell if you're not doing that but it's part of keeping the temple clean and just being obedient so be careful with the chosen. Um, I I've seen parts of the Jesus revolution, but I haven't watched the whole thing. So I don't know. It's like the Arctic tortoise. This is uh, Charlie lay down the beat for the professed rap. <laughs> That's a fun one. Now, now, now the big hairy rabbit. What's it? We got a big hairy rabbit. Oh, big hairy. rabbit! Throw it up. I am interested in Charles view on the calendar and how, what he believes is different. Okay. Oh boy. All right, Buttercups. If if you're not interested in the minutia of the Hebrew calendar, class dismissed. We'll see you tomorrow when I try to wrap up Schofield and everything with the prophecy and the scriptures. But for the rest of the class, we are about to oh launch boy. after a rabbit. It will eventually come back when we wrap the show, but this rabbit is going to get a little hairy. Yeah, this All right. This is a big, hairy rabbit. Charlie, rock and roll, bro. Oh, my. Where do we begin? For, for those of you that don't know what John is asking, there is a huge, huge scholarly debate. Yeah, it's it's as big as pre, mid, and post-trib rapture. Yeah, maybe, maybe even bigger. <laughs> maybe bigger. About the biblical calendar and how it is supposed to be together how, yeah. how, how do we follow it what is it and how do we follow it oh my gosh uh this unfortunately is the case of much division throughout the entire not only just hebrew roots movement but even in Ju uh, judaism there's problems so this is this is huge and and i'm going to tell you right now we don't have the answer. No, we don't. But also, this is important for Christians, too, because you've totally abandoned the calendar. Well, yeah, yeah. For Christians, they just throw it out the window. It's all right, John. Uh, it, it's fine, John. John <laughs> was fine. saying he's not sure it, he should it, ask it, this. And we're, we will eventually have a class on this entirely because we're still researching this oh, yeah, we're, ourselves yeah. because we have to make some decisions within our our own congregation about this. So I've been researching this from one tact and Joe's I'm researching it, it for another. And we've got another uh, elder in our congregation that'll probably take another angle and we're going to be attacking this. Now, the, I can sum it up, I think, fairly well. There's, eh, I guess there's actually two things that are the source of the disputes within the body. The first is, do you follow the uh, uh, 
new moon as sighted or the conjunction of the moon, which is calculated. That's one of the things. That, that's the minor one. The bigger one is the intercalation of the 13th month. For those of you that don't know anything about the uh, biblical calendar, it is a lunar solar calendar. The months are based on the moon. So you've got a calendar that's 29 point blah, 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 blah. I don't have the number in my head, but it's not exactly, you know, a certain day and da, 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 da. So over the course of a few years, there's actually a, you know, what's the metonic cycle? There's a 19 year cycle that they've developed for this that shows how and 19 it, is a number that resonates throughout scripture. <laughs> how intercalations need to be done within this period in order for the lunar calendar to match up with the solar. Otherwise, what happens is your calendar will migrate. And so you, like we have what we refer to as spring feast, you know, Passover and unleavened bread and, and uh, Shavuot, uh, um, Pentecost. All those are in the spring time. And then we have, like we're in right now, we're in tabernacles at the moment. We've got, we just had uh, um, Yom Trua, um Day of Trumpets and uh, uh, Day of Atonement and such. These are referred to as fall feasts. Well, if you don't correct this calendar, you're going to end up doing your spring feast in the fall. And like the fall Ramadan. And, yeah, like Ramadan. The, the Muslims the don't Muslim correct calendar. and their, yeah, it, their it goes feast the can place. go any time of the year. So the question is, how do you determine when to intercalate a month? Basically okay. leap month. Yeah, a leap month is what it, what it works out to be, yes. Because you know, you're familiar with the solar calendar. We do leap days every four years and blah, blah, blah. And it actually is more complicated than that. But anyway, and, and that corrects for that to you know, keep things. But so we have to do this for the lunar calendar. Um, so there are several ways this can be done and the instruction uh, manual doesn't tell us which the way instruction do. manual does not tell us the instruction manual does refer to aviv now whether this it anciently was defined as we define it today or not that's a question in itself although there is some uh, scholarly evidence to support that and they talk about Aviv is an agricultural term that talks about the ripeness of the barley crop. And that was the first crop. And you, the first fruits offering was an offering of barley. So you can't have a first fruits offering if the barley is not to the stage that it can be uh, produced for the wave offering. You've got to have it at least at a stage that it can be parched and so on and so forth. So that's one thing that people uh, have determined, well, we're going to follow the barley. And so we have to determine uh, what the state of the barley is and when it's at this um, state, then we'd blah, blah, Can blah. I interrupt real quick? For sure. Folks, you got to understand in, in Israel, you plant the barley when the rains come. Yes. Okay. Because a lot of this is the uh, agricultural timeline and it's all based on when the early and late rains come in, in, in the desert there. And that is... I, it doesn't care what time of the calendar is. When the rain comes, you got to get it planted, Jack. And that's right. part of what's going on here. Right. So. And if and if you look at the feasts carefully, all of these feasts are agriculturally connected. Yes. They're co connected with the 
the harvests is basically how they're how they're laid out. You've got the, the barley is the first crop that comes in, then wheat comes in later, that's Shavuot, and then during Sukkot is when your later crops come in, like your grapes and pomegranates and uh, nut trees and so on and so forth. So that's one way of looking at it. The rabbinical writings also talk about the lambing season, the, the uh, birds hatching, uh, other you know agricultural farming type things that have indications. They also talk about the condition of roads and such because people would have to travel to Jerusalem for the feasts and if if the rains were such that the roads were messed up and stuff, you wouldn't be able to travel there and, and so on. Yeah, and if so you've forth. never been in the desert, when it rains, the roads disappear. Yeah, because in Israel, you have basically two seasons. You have the early rain, and then you have the latter rain. And that that's how, you know, the agriculture is there. It's similar to what we have in Florida, where, where we live. So that's one way of doing it. And there is some indications, at least from my research. This that, way is mentioned in the Bible. Yes, this way, this is, way mentioned is mentioned in, in the Bible. Bible. However, after the Babylonian captivity, or during perhaps even the Babylonian captivi captivity, because they were not in the land of, of uh, Israel, they had to figure out a way of keeping the calendar when they weren't there to observe the barley. And the Babylonians were very good at astronomical uh, observations and such. And they had calculated things. They, they had a calculated calendar and such that was pretty darn accurate. And so it's possible, don't know for sure, but um, the, it, there are indications in, in history and some, I guess, you call them shadows within the scriptures that they may have used a calculated calendar post Babylonian captivity. And most people believe that that was likely tied to the equinox, which, you know, is one of the solar, it's a solar thing, but you can calculate that. Um, and that we use that in our, you know, um, Hellenistic way of looking at it, you know, that's how we divide into seasons, you know, the, the spring and summer and winter and, and our fall and winter and all that stuff is based on the solstices and the equinox. Um, so then the question comes in, well, how does the equinox come into play? And there's two different calendars that kind of roughly follow that. One of them uses the equinox, and then they take the first new moon following the equinox, and that begins the first month, because they, uh, from the biblical calendar perspective, oh boy, this gets so complicated. Um, I can simplify this a little bit. As it, as it talks about the feasts anyway, uh, the beginning of the year is in the month of Aviv. That's the first month but there's other other calendars, but anyway. So then um, there's another one that uses uh, the first full moon following the equinox. 
And so there's there's lots of different calendars out there. And what where we're going with research now, because the, the Bible does not lay out how this is done. No. We have we have to go to extra biblical sources to try to put this together to figure out the best way we can. Uh, one of the things I've done is I've looked at, you know, uh, writings like from the Talmud and things like that uh, from our, our Jewish brothers and sisters. They, you know, they've got uh, stuff there. Um, we can also look at historical things. That's one thing I haven't gotten. Oh, I'm to on that one completely yet. Joe's got a little bit more on that. He might share. Uh, and we're trying to tie these things together to see what lines up so that we can try to figure out more exactly what the calendar is we should be following. However, part of my belief is, is that this has been intentionally veiled from us. Because if we could figure yes. this out precisely, exactly, it's possible with enough evidence from Scripture and stuff, we could predict when the Messiah is going to return really close. But the uh, scriptures say that we ain't going to know. In fact, he didn't even know is what it says. He didn't, but now so, he does. Well, I'm sure he he's does undone now, the seals and he's, yeah. Yeah. He's got all power on earth and heaven. So yeah. I, expect, I expect he knows now. <laughs> so um, I, I'll let Joe fill in any blanks he wants to fill in. That's where we're at right now. We haven't come to a conclusive this is the way it is. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but let me just say this part before I turn it over to Joe, back over to Joe. This is not something we need to be dividing the body no, over. No, it isn't. This is not something to divide the body over. The feasts are intended to be celebrated together as yes, a body. As a body. We need to come together. Now, personally with, with me, I, I go to a, congregation here i don't necessarily believe the way that they use the calendar to celebrate the feast but i follow it because i'm part of that congregation so i follow that because that's when we come together as a group to celebrate so you know that that's where we need to we need to give a little grace to our brothers and sisters on this because it's okay to have a little bit different view of this. It's not a salvific issue. We need to, you know, celebrate the feast the best we can because we, we we can't really even keep the feasts because the way they're designed, we don't have a temple. We don't have a, a an ironic priesthood. There's lots of reasons why we can't do it. We don't go to Jerusalem. Uh, so there's lots of... <laughs> Sorry, puppy no. jumped on the keyboard. The, the prophets... <laughs> The prophets also tell us that um, after the crucifixion, the feast will be turned into a remembrance of mourning for right. a for a first son that had been lost. Right. So, so anyway, I'll let you uh, add anything more you want right. well, to. just boy, this hang out there just in case. Hairy bunny. First things first that you have to understand is that the the feasts are prophetic in nature themselves. They tell you the 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 um, salvation cycle, the the whole work of the Messiah. Passover is, you know, the, the Passover in Exodus is pointing forward to the crucifixion. Passover is the crucifixion, blood of the lamb. If you're covered by the blood of the lamb, you know, Yahweh passes over you. That's grace. You could have the biggest sinner in the world in that household, but the the angel of death passed over that household just because the blood of the lamb was over it. Had nothing to do with your spiritual nature. That was 
Yahweh's divine choice to do that. Um, you also have, you have to look at first fruits, the barley, you know, when we were reading the passage, barley seems to be associated with Jesus. He's first of the first fruits. Well, the first fruit in the spring, that's the first resurrection. When you are, when you die in the old way and you are raised new in the new life, you know, you're converted, born again into the Messiah, you share in the resurrection with him. That's first resurrection. The second resurrection is what we think of as the resurrection when everybody comes back to life. Well, the first is a first fruit wave offering to Yahweh. The second resurrection, that's the harvest. That's the fall harvest when we're told in the prophets that it, it, you're going to sort the sheep from the goats and the, the fruit goes into the storehouse, into the kingdom, and the chaff and, and everything, you know, the wheat in the storehouse, the chaff into the fire. And so you've got you've to look at that right there, which to me, is all connecting to Aviv and barley. But that's just me. You also have the thing with, um, there are prophecies that tell us toward the end of time, as, as time gets closer and closer to the end, 10 men from the nations will grab hold of a skirt of him who is a Jew and tell us, teach us the law because Yahweh's with you. You know, you teach us the, well, in the prophetic in language, 10 men from the nations, the goyim from the rest of the world, the, you know, grafted into the church and everything. In other words, 10 men from the Goyim, the 10 men from the house of Israel, the divorced bride with the grafted in Jews are going to grab hold of the Jews. Say, teach us Torah. Well, there's another prophecy that says once Judah comes back from Babylon, it'll never again lose its way. Well, then that means the Orthodox Jews are at least keeping the calendar more closely aligned to what we're supposed to be doing. They're using the calculated, is it Hillel calendar? Hillel 2. Hillel 2. And that thing is an amazingly accurate calendar. Yeah, it's just, it's extremely accurate. but it's accurate. The, here's the thing with that, though, is that since that time, history, what we think of as secular history, seems to have aligned with that calendar. So all your tetrads, your blood moon tetrads that land on the feast days for two years in a row, every about every 500 years. And it's an amazing thing. I was reading that beforehand. Up until the birth of Christ, we hadn't had those for like 12,000 years. And now they happen regularly about every 500 years. But in the recent times, they've been happening every 50 years. It's like it's a countdown. It's a very rare occurrence. And it's like there's a countdown going on and things are getting closer and closer and closer together. Well, we're not going to have another one of those for six or 700 years, which means we are in a period we're supposed to wake up and look at. But those tetrads coincide with the Orthodox Jewish calendar. Why is that important? Because if you use the calendar that certain other people use, if you use the equinox, if you're using the full moon and after the equinox, and then, then you either have to backdate or forward date it. If you're using the full moon, you land on the Orthodox Jewish calendar where all the tetrads and all the jubilees and everything's lining up with. If you're using the first new moon after the equinox, then you can put the feasts before or after the Orthodox calendar, in which case the tetrads and everything else don't line up with that calendar which is why I tend to lean toward the Hillel. And it may be nothing more than Yahweh decided, okay, you know, you hammer knockers got it wrong, but I choose to affirm this calendar so that my prophets and witnesses do not come to naught. He and, does it for his own glory. And from my research, the uh, first sliver of the moon after the equinox is a fairly recent convention. Yes. As best I can tell. And it seems to be, it, 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 oh man, this is, I don't know if I should even, you know what? 
no, I need to go there. I'm teaching Yahweh's people, Charlie, if it, if it has blowback in our congregation has blowback. This thing with the first sliver of the new moon after the equinox does seem to have some vestiges of anti-Semitism in it, the jealousy between Israel and Judah. And that's a no-no in scripture. Um, there are prophecies that say that there will come a time where that no longer happens. So we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. So remember, it doesn't mean that there'll be no more jealousy. It just means that there'll be parts of the church that now are kumbaya with each other. And that's where you want to head to. You want to head to the point where Jew and Christian get along again, which, by the way, is starting to happen in the nation of Israel. That's yeah, prophetic is. what's going on right now. They've now released, they've lifted the prohibitions against allowing Christians to immigrate and become part yeah. of their nation. That This is all prophecy in the fulfillment, folks all of this and it's all in the prophets it's all all at everything i'm telling you is in the prophets and learning their language will help you see it and understand it so we will probably just pick up tomorrow where we left off here uh which calendar did jesus follow marianne he affirmed the calendar that they were using at the time which would most likely be the hillel calendar that we're using today or really closely coincided with that the reason i say that is because there was a tetrad around his crucifixion and it lined up with that Passover. And if you're using the other one, it wouldn't have been there. But also, there is evidence from that time, and we showed that scripturally when we talked about, you know, whether uh, the Last Supper was a, a no, Passover, it was a Wednesday. That uh, there were different sects that had different calendars, yes. even at that time. Yeah, but he seems to have affirmed the one that the Pharisees were using, and that would have put you within Orthodox Judaism as best we can understand it today, given what we have. And not that, not that Charlie and I have access to every, I mean, the Vatican's not going to let us run through their records and because, you know, we're not officially lettered scholars, so we can't go into these older documents and we don't read those old language anyhow, but I wouldn't think that Charlie and I are that bad at scholarship we tend to be very good about scouring what is available to us in english and whatever languages that he and i we both do a little german he and much better than i am but what's available to us we're good at finding it and scouring through it and testing it um so what's available to us at the point in time right now yeah i i would think yeshua was keeping with what we would think of today as the orthodox jewish calendar all the events from that point forward in history seem to align with that calendar so hopefully, so John, we answered your question. <laughs> that was a long rabbit, but it did come yeah, back to yeah, where we well, started. And I mean, and we're still figuring this out ourselves. So, uh, yes. All right. We'll pick up tomorrow um, more with the prophecy and the chiasms and how everything lines up. And we'll just go from there. If you like what we're doing, please share the word. Tell everybody about me. Get them used to having to deal with me. Um, <laughs> John says more questions. That's good. That's good, John. If it gives you more questions than answers, perfect. That's where you need to be. That means you're learning and you're learning to think for yourself. And that's where Yahweh wants us to be. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Yes, it is. We'll see everybody tomorrow. We love each and every one of you. If nothing else, please give us a thumbs up. We do like seeing the feedback, but otherwise spread the word, man, and be back here tomorrow.